Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Dan from Vertex School. Today I have with me uh, Matt Tovar. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself there, Matt? Hi, uh, yeah, my name is Matt Tovar and I am uh, currently an animator. I'm working on, I'm working with Sony uh, PlayStation on an upcoming PlayStation title uh, for the PS5 and uh, been in the industry for about, I guess since 2008. So what is that, like 12 years, 13 years around there. Mm-hmm. And also teach at a brick and mortar university in Texas here in San Antonio. Very, very cool. Um, so I've actually been following you for a long while or a pretty long while on uh, Instagram. And um, I've also recently found you on Twitter. So I've watched a lot of the content that you've actually created and you create some absolutely gorgeous work. And I love that so much of the stuff that you share, especially in like Instagram, is very um, how you did things. So like, hey, uh, I use a lot of motion curves and motion trails and I use um, all kinds of ghosting and things along those lines. And it's a, a plethora of information that you have on your page. And I absolutely love that. And uh, I saw you also have a, a Gumroad, which has a plethora of information and, and rigs and all sorts of great information. And uh, I'm sorry, I haven't reached out to you more in the past because, I, I mean, I've been following and admiring your work for quite a while. And uh, huh. funny enough, I actually started in 2008 as well. Uh, uh, that was my first gig in the uh, animation industry. I'm sorry, I keep looking over this way because I'm actually looking at your work as we're speaking. Um, okay. So looking at, actually, um, when I looked at your Gumroad earlier, and uh, I have it here now too, you have a, actually have a lot of really great rigs for students as well. Um, as far as having like the body mechanic rigs and then uh, the endo rig uh, seems like it's probably a body mechanics rig but a little bit heavier set um, and then some other really other really great rigs do you primarily create your rigs for uh, earlier students or do you also enjoy creating rigs uh, for people that are further down the line like seniors and things along those lines um, I'm still trying to like improve on rigging, so I wouldn't say they're, I mean, they have features to, to do lip sync and things like that, but mm -hmm. um, as I'm improving, I would say I'm mostly there for body mechanics, some acting. Mm -hmm. uh, they can get all the kind of basic stuff. If you want, I think super, super high feature. I don't, I don't think those are there yet, but maybe over time if they get uh, better yeah. things, yeah. Yeah, I've just taken a look at your, uh, just watching some of the, the videos play on a lot of this stuff. It's really, really great stuff, like animation um, workflow demo. Mm. Um, some yeah. really, really cool stuff in here. I'm actually going to be going through a little bit of workflow uh, with my students next week as we are moving from like bouncing ball and things along those lines. We're getting more into the more body mechanics, so they're going to have to start figuring out, planning them out more than just making a ball bounce and things along those lines. So. Right. Uh, it's uh, right. it's really cool that you have that on your site. Um, so with all of this plethora of information that you have and resources that you have and uh, things along those lines, 
when, when you think about a student who's just starting out or thinking about getting into this, uh, what do you find as being like one of your biggest topics that you really like to try and get students excited about animation when they're first starting out and or you're trying to bring people to you to talk uh, to to get more into animation because sometimes people show up and they're not 100 percent sure um how they feel about either going film direction or or games and those kinds of things uh i really like to try and give them some things to get excited about and make it look more accessible because some people are like oh well at some point i'd really like to work at pixar or blizzard but like you know that's a pipe dream it's way down the road um i really like to tell them like hey listen i've i've worked with guys and i've gone to school with guys that have gone straight from school right to pixar and i've worked with people that uh worked at a little indie studio making mobile games and then all of a sudden they're working at blizzard and things along those lines so i like to try to get them excited do you have anything that you like to try and do to get students excited and get uh, early career people excited about uh, their path? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's some that are still right now in the program that are a little undecided on what they wanted to do, like games or film, but I de definitely do the same. I try to kind of show um, the difference, I guess, uh, type of work they could be doing in each of them um, so they can get some examples. And, and since, I'm able, since I've been able to like, work in both of them I'm, I'm able to like show like i was even if i decide to how even if you decide i want to do games but then later you wanted to do film like you could you could transition over you can start you know doing more acting pieces things like that so I do um so i just kind of i like to show them that there uh, there's a lots of different um ways they could go right and, and there's lots of different opportunities out there so um sorry the dog in the back <laughs> yeah. no i actually enjoy it <laughs> i just, just noticed that yeah back there playing <laughs> um, um yeah so i show that and also i like to they also really like to hear about past students success like from others um yeah and and the pixar thing is interesting because a lot of times they come in and they'll um they they, they don't think oh it's not possible to get to Pixar right away or something like that and uh, I tell them it's definitely possible I think it's um, you just have to be kind of gearing your stuff towards specific places if that's where you want to work and it's that so I would tell them that it, it's it's possible and we definitely can uh, you know try to get internships or things like that there so it's not a it's not a it's not some impossible thing to do so I think they like to hear that and uh, which is true and it's definitely um, possible for all those opportunities and I think um, they always get internships, like some of the students past junior years and all that kind of stuff. So I think it helps seeing their success. And when new students, when new uh, students come and they want to talk about the program, they kind of um, ask, well, do you have any, you know, past juniors or seniors that are working at stuff? And so we show them all the stuff they're working on and where they're at. So they like to see that, especially the parents like to see that because <laughs> they want to make sure their, their um, kid is going to be working somewhere or something yeah, right and they absolutely. it doesn't mean it's 100 percent, but if they put in all the work and they're open to feedback and all this kind of stuff then they have a really good shot so. yeah absolutely so when i was going to school um it, funny enough it was almost like some people thought that they had the golden ticket the second that they started going to the school and they're mm -hmm. like oh well yeah as soon as i'm done i'm gonna have this piece of paper that says that i went through this program and i'm just gonna get a job and you could tell by their work in the school that they were very kind of coasting through it like yeah I, I made the bouncing ball yeah i made a walk cycle yeah it's not great but you know 
I did it, and that's like I'm gonna be able to get a job. Um, since then, I mean, we're talking about uh, a decade and a half ago. Since then, it's it feels like people feel, they realize, hey, I have to really put in a lot of work, and I try to to instill that on my students as much as possible because. When I went to school, I was already married and everything, and I needed to work full time on top of going to school. So I was putting in at least 40 to 60 hours worth of schoolwork a week on top of my 40 to 50 hours working for the government. And that's and that's what it took to get my first interviews and get my first job. Like it's, I, I had my first interviews right out of school. Um, I actually had interviews before our um, our ceremony actually went through. So I didn't do internships and stuff like that, but before our actual graduation ceremony, I had already gone on a couple of interviews. So it was, mm -hmm. it was really, really quick for me, which I was very, very fortunate in that, in that sense. Um, but uh, it's because I worked so hard and no, I didn't come out as a, uh, like an ILM level real animator. You know, I didn't come out and say like, oh, I'm gonna go work on the next Spider-Man. But I came out with the skills that were attractive to studios, you know, coming in as a junior animator, I, I had the skills that uh, that they were interested in. So um, I really try to instill that on my students, on my students of if you put the work in, you're going to get better and you're going to continue to uh, improve your skill. And then from there, you're going to get offers. And it's just a matter of putting that work in and making that happen. So right. Uh, right. For me, that's that's a really important part for them is to realize it's going to be a hard thing and it's something that you're really going to have to work at. But in the long run, putting in all that work is going to give you a great reward. Mm -hmm. um, right. so, so since we're talking about like the start of careers and, and things along those lines, um, how did you end up figuring out that you wanted to work in games and film? Is it something that you knew right out of school, like high school, that you were going to go to an art school to get into animation? or did you love games your entire life? And I, I just like to know how you got started. Yeah, I mean, I did enjoy games, um, but I, I never knew about the uh, industry. Like, I didn't know you could do it. I mean, I, maybe I kind of knew, but I didn't really understand it or mm -hmm. know that you could go to apply to something like that or something. I didn't know that. Um, it wasn't as, I mean, it was popular, but it wasn't as known, I could think, back then, like the like how to, how to make a reel, all this kind of stuff. I didn't, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. So, um, I was actually computer science major at first. And then, um, I switched, uh, sophomore year through, and then I switched to a, once I heard about the program in town, I thought, oh, that sounds more creative, um, than, um, programming that I was doing. So I, right. more art related. So I felt like that would be um, a better fit. Um, programming was still, it was fun, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't for me, it wasn't as creative enough. For, and, um, and that sounded really cool. So I, tr I transferred over and I did that and then I learned more about it. And then I, I why well, we learned how to do everything like modeling, um, lighting, all that kind of stuff. And right. I just, uh, I, I seem to enjoy animation more, um, which I wasn't that, wasn't very good at all uh, but I think towards this end of the year or senior year I was capable enough uh, to help out like some studios like to, at a basic level or something like a junior level um, mm -hmm. 
but uh and then yeah and then as far as like uh, films or games i didn't really know um a particular place i wanted to work i just was still like learning everything like learning how to move things still so i was just trying to get better and then um i ended up i ended up just being uh applying to sony at the time back then and then uh got in there and then i worked on some games and then kind of just snowballed from there like more and more games and then mm-hmm. um and then as far as the film i i decided kind of some years through Uh-oh. Might have lost you, Matt. Shoot. I think we may have lost him. Just going to give this a moment to see if it picks back up. This conference will now be recorded. Okay, we had a little bit of a technical issue there, but uh, Matt, you were in the middle of talking about... Uh, your career and uh, your career path, and I think you were just starting to talk about getting into film and uh, how you got uh, went that direction. Yeah, and then I uh, a couple of years into working in games, I wanted to try out film. Um, just wanted to see kind of what the difference was and learn more um, about that and how, because I knew it was different. And uh, so I ended up going to Sony ImageWorks in uh, LA. Mm-hmm and worked on a couple of uh, films there. Um, I enjoyed it, uh, but at the time, it was during the period where a lot of the VFX and all that kind of stuff was going out to Canada and things like that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed California, so I didn't really feel like going. Um, so I ended up just working more in uh, some games uh, since there's a lot of work around there in LA and San Diego mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So. Um, so I just stayed and doing um, that. And then um, since then, I've just been kind of uh, helping out with, uh, since I teach full time, I I just help out either remotely or I'll, during the summers, maybe go and work on whatever, if it's a game or a, um, helping out with some kind of uh, commercial stuff or anything like that. I try to, you know, do that. So. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah, so um, you you obviously also made the transition from uh, being full-on production in film and games over to the educational side, uh, just like I did within this last year. And uh, for me, it was very much, I I felt really rewarded seeing my name in the credits and in the games that I've worked on and hearing stories of people playing with them and things along those lines. But in the long run, uh, what really drove me toward education was going to GDC a couple of times and hearing people and seeing people talk about their educational experiences, trying to get into the video game industry and uh, seeing what their demo reels look like and finding out that they were having a significantly difficult time getting in. And I really wanted to try and help them the best way that I could. So a lot of times I would be going and talking to people one-on-one and gathering information from students I saw that posted online and trying to give them feedback. And what it ended up running into was like, I'm really, really enjoying sharing what I do know with people to try and help them. And from there, it's it's been extremely rewarding for me. And I've really enjoyed the process of trying to help people break into the industry because, as you know, it's not exactly the easiest industry to get into. It's really, really small. And there's a, a awful lot of talent out there. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So right. Uh, 
now that we're talking about that, uh, obviously one of the, the strongest things that an, a tool animator has to get a job is their demo reel. And with that, we need to help them build a demo reel that's going to help them progress in their career. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that and some of the some of the mistakes you may have seen in demo reels <clears throat> that could actually hurt a student. Maybe uh, we could talk about uh, good ways to kind of structure your demo reels and things that uh, things along those lines. You also talked a little bit about uh, directing your demo reel toward mm -hmm. what what kind of job you're going for. So if it's film or or games or or otherwise. Um, so can you, uh, would you like to talk about uh, a little bit of that at all? Like, so maybe uh, we could talk about like structure and uh, mistakes that you've seen on demo reels. Um, yeah, I guess mistakes first that I see. Um, well, a lot of times it's, they have too much, um, too many pieces shown on there um, mm -hmm. and it's not all their best work. So, it's, you know, if they have like, even if it's just one bad piece, um, you can, that's probably a pass on the reel unless all the other ones are just incredible, but there, that wouldn't make sense why there would be a, such a big difference. So, um, so I think, yeah, just having too many or, or they're not polished enough. I think, um, uh, it's since, since it's tougher nowadays to get in, I think the bar has gone up. So I think, um, the mistakes I see is maybe it's not, you know, polished enough or they think, Oh, that looks, pretty good or good enough but at this stage with so many people competing i mean you, you gotta basically be polishing that till i mean it, until it's basically like deadline okay i have to submit it <laughs> in a way um because there's always stuff to improve on it so or always stuff to, to tweak and polish um and then the other mistake is i think is that people send the same reel to like all these places um which it may, it may work in some cases, but in general, if you can tailor it to the studios, I think that would um, help a lot as far as uh, getting a, a response back. I think if they can see like, oh, you're doing the same style of work that we do here, um, then mm -hmm. yeah, that helps a lot. Um, so for example, like if you're applying to, to Naughty Dog and all you have is a bunch of keyframe animation it, it may get through if it's really awesome awesome work but they would really probably also like to see that you know how to handle some mocap and things like that so that they don't have to spend time training and or worrying if you know how to do it and all that kind of stuff so um so things like that like knowing um or or if you're applying a pixar and you put on a put in a mocap piece or something like that they they, they don't want to see any of that stuff so it's so it's you just kind of kind of know what they're looking for and what they do right. um i think that's some of the big stuff that i see like students make mistakes on is uh mm -hmm. not not um not kind of personalizing it enough to those places like if i was if i was to be applying to places i would be probably have a new reel for every single job i applied to i just like re-edit it put some new pieces reorder it and then show that one or something so mm -hmm. um, just helps i think to give a an, a better shot at it. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> That's something that I don't think um, you hear very often is tailoring your demo reels to different locations. Cause I mean, you have a, a main demo reel that you might have out just for like business inquiries and people that might want to just stop by your page and they go, Hey, I think we want to give this guy an offer. Let's talk to him. Mm -hmm. So you obviously will have like a main demo reel, but yeah, absolutely. When you start applying to places, you need to make sure that you're showing them 
skills that they will value. So as you had mentioned, mocap uh, studios are going to want to see that you can work with mocap and uh, places that are all keyframe want to make sure that you have all keyframe. And then there's also stylistic choices, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you've got stuff that is uh, very over the top, like Hotel Transylvania levels of animation, and then you're applying even to a place like Pixar, a lot of their stuff is grounded a bit more. Um, so they might go, okay, he, the entire style is outside of what we do here. And while if you're good enough, they might say, okay, well, he can, he, we can train this person to match our style. And once they've been here long enough, they'll, they'll really start to groove with the style that we have. And while that is very true, if you're going up against somebody with the same exact skill level as you, let's say, and that other person is already matching their style, that's the direction that they'll go. So hmm. you really don't hear an awful lot about that. It's usually just put your best stuff in your reel, make sure, uh, you, as you had mentioned, don't put anything weak in your reel and things along those lines, but you really don't hear too much about the tailoring. And so I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because you really don't hear enough about it. And uh, I think even people senior and, and lead levels kind of forget that sometimes as well. It's like, oh, I really want to go work at this particular studio but all of my stuff is realistic and they're all very stylized. Like, uh, you should probably spend a few weeks maybe creating some some stylized work and and perfecting that before you uh, apply to a place like that. You want to give put your best foot forward, right? Right, it just gives you a better shot. Um, like if somebody, I think I saw recently one of my uh, friends back in the, they were, it was the animation they were doing and it was a little too stylized for, it was supposed to be like a Call of Duty style, but it was just too cartoony uh, type of motion and 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 that kind of stuff. Like if you were gonna apply to to work on a Call of Duty or something, then you gotta make sure your stuff looks like mocap and realistic and uh, not this uh, Hotel T type of stuff or anything like that for them at least. Um, so yeah, just kind of looking at what they do and uh, it just helps and they appreciate seeing um, that stuff. One of my students back a couple of years ago uh, applied or he was going to he ended up getting the uh, internship at Insomniac and uh, I think one of the things that helped which is a, it was a risk I guess in a way but it was um, he did a in one of his pieces was a Spider-Man kind of a test and I think um, that's really helped um, because that's what they were working on at the time and so that kind of helped to like oh that looks pretty good and uh, that kind of helped get a shot at that um, I don't think it was just that one piece alone, but I just think that seeing that also shows you're a fan of their work, and so it helps. Yeah, absolutely. So you, um, we, we talked a little bit about tailoring your work and things along those lines, and uh, thinking back about when we had first gotten out of the schools that we went to, and we were trying to put together demo reels and things along those lines, sometimes you don't have an awful lot of work to actually show, because I mean, uh, a bit, a large portion of the beginning of learning animation. It's things like a bouncing ball and pendulums and things along those lines, which isn't exactly show real kind of stuff. You're not going to get a, a job off of a bouncing ball, even though it's dramatically important to learn those things. So mm -hmm. when a student finishes school and they've only have a few pieces, um, do you, do you generally um, ask them to continue on their own and make some more pieces after school before they start applying places? Or do you just have them create a smaller, shorter reel with possibly less pieces and send that out as they get started? Or um, which direction yeah. do you usually like to send them? Yeah, I mean, I send them to, 
I mean, I never would, I, I wouldn't let for at least, at least like a graduating one, I wouldn't be, or at least if they showed it to me, I wouldn't approve of them sending like with the bouncing ball and stuff like that. Um, I mean, they can if they want, obviously, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend it. And then as far as like the, if, if they don't have enough, I had a student one time when they didn't have a lot and we just picked out the like best three pieces and sent that off. It was like 40 seconds or 30 seconds of a reel. And it did get a few responses and a couple of interviews. So, um, so in that case, but I, but at the same time, I was telling her at the same time to be working on new stuff as, as you're show, showing this off. Um, and she, they, they had other material. It just, I just think it was. I just think it didn't think it was at the highest level as the other ones. So I just thought let's just cut them out. So, um, so the reel got down pretty low. But that 30 second reel would have been better. That it hit harder than a, a 50 second reel with some other filler pieces that weren't as good. So I would say uh, I I do tell them to apply even if they have. 30 seconds worth of stuff, um, but also I always pushing to be working on new stuff on the side and uh, and uh, having more content and uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when when you think about back when you first started to apply to places and uh, and you started to, to look around, did you immediately take your demo reel and start to uh, modify it for all the different studios that you started going to? Or did you go with like you had a few pieces that you could put on your demo reel and you added what you could onto it? Because I mean, obviously, as you continue your career, you get more and more that you've created that you can t custom tailor a little bit better. Uh, when students are first getting out of school, uh, they usually, like you said, they might have 30, maybe 40 seconds worth of stuff and they have to continue to try and create stuff. So while they're actually in the school and they have the opportunity, like you say, oh, let's do a run cycle, for instance, like let's create a run cycle. Do you uh, tell them along that period of time and do you suggest that students start thinking about the studios that they want to work for so they can tailor their schoolwork more in that direction or uh, so that it helps them better off in those directions or do you try and have them mix it up like, hey, do a really stylized run maybe right now and then when we get to um, let's say it's a, a lifting box exercise or something along those lines, when we get to doing something like that, make it hyper-realistic. Uh, mm -hmm. do, you, do you have them do mixed things while in school or do you have them try and direct their, their style toward what they actually are really interested in and studios that they're interested in? Yeah, that's, um, I definitely have them direct it to a certain, at least an area. I, I sometimes hesitate to do it to a specific one place, like going all in on it, I guess, in a way. But, um, but I do tend to push like, okay, you want to work at um, a riot type place, then I definitely would push them to be working on that stylistic type of animations and in that form because they could do a an, a an emote or something, but if it's not really that stylistic as what they do, then it's not going to really read for them. So so I do like to have them um, go in that general direction. At the same time, I also try to also encourage like to broaden up a little bit after like you do some pieces for that just to make sure okay well you can send that to there and then you can also apply to these because at the end of the day they're going to be applying to a bunch of places and see you know which 
and they just not going to apply to just just like riot or something that's right. it and then wait you know so yeah <laughs> so um and i so i kind of it's a I, I, so I try to have them kind of have a little bit of a mix, but not too broad of a mix. Like if they don't want to work in motion capture, then okay, then we'll uh, work on keyframe stuff, but we'll tailor it to different, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my what I've worked on so far, and while I worked on like the Elder Scrolls and we had dragons and big giant monsters and things along those lines, it was still very grounded in a, in a more realistic animation style, not very mm -hmm. style, uh, didn't have a whole lot of stylisticness to it. Um, and my experience right now is not as much stylistic since the beginning of my, my career, I, I've had very realistic direction. So if I decide, even at my level now, if I want to start looking at Riot or something along those lines, is yeah, I'm going to have to go in and I'm going to have to create some pieces for them because all the, all of my experience right now is in a different direction. And even as someone that's been doing this for 12 to 13 years, I'm going to need some practice on doing something stylistic. I haven't done it in such a long period of time um, that I would probably want to also go in and start practicing it myself and start getting myself a little bit better for it and then start creating pieces to be able to apply places mm. like that. So, mm -hmm. um, while while it's in the early part of your career, you should start figuring out which direction you really want to go and try to tailor yourself a little bit toward that direction while, while sprinkling in the other ideas. Um, even at our level where we are now, it's still really important to say, hey, I haven't really done a whole lot of really stylistic or over-the-top animation styles, and I should probably brush up on it. Like So that's currently actually what I'm doing is the personal pieces I'm working on right now are actually very stylized because oh, nice. I realize it's a it's a weak part in my in my own knowledge that I need to try and to increase. Um, so yeah, I, right. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's also just something that we don't talk about very often when we talk about demo reels. It's like make your best pieces, but you know, if you don't want to work in mocap, maybe don't have mocap on your reel. Uh, <laughs> right. Those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Same. Yeah. That's what I tell them. And I have a couple that don't want to work in mocap, which is fine, even though there's a lot of work in there. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, then we got to be really pushing and practicing different styles of keyframes and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. like even me, if I was to apply for some even riot type of thing, I would, I would think I would, yeah, I have some maybe that could fit it, but I, I would need to do more, I think, to show that I can do their style of work and, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have a reel to send off right now, right, or something. So, right. Um, yeah, so I think it would be, and that's partly why on my Instagram I try to do, I try to do a different kind of things so that I can try to be more well-rounded to do different yeah. styles in case something comes up or, you know, things yeah. like that. Because so, it's always, like you said, it just have to practice uh, that type of, even even saying that, I don't, I don't think I've, done any that are just super uh super cartoony as of late so i probably need to do some of those like um you know looney tune like double legs and all this kind of stuff that would be that's a little different so i would have to study that a little bit more and do some tests you know yeah for sure um i've noticed that you uh you do incorporate quite a bit of tech into um into your animations uh i can remember one I don't remember exactly what the character was doing, but I remember there was uh, essentially almost like a ghosting of this character's leg mm. when they were doing a kick, and it showed. I think you actually might have broken apart part of the rig and had uh, extra mm -hmm. models in there for the legs and things along those lines. Um, 
it's been a while now since I remember seeing that, but I just remember thinking like, wow, that's stuff that I haven't had the opportunity to do yet. You know, like I haven't, I haven't had a chance to try and do things like that, to try and sell things like uh, motion blur or uh, stretching and, and that kind of stuff. So um, right. with that, uh, do you find that you have a large tool set outside of like your normal, uh, I assume you work inside of Maya. So mm -hmm. do you find that you have a large tool set added on top of Maya, things like outside ghost uh, ghosting and uh, different uh, in-betweeners, tween machines and mm. uh, pose, uh, pose libraries and that kind of stuff. Do you uh, find that you use a lot of that or you use a lot of built-in tools? Um, so yeah, the, the ghosting when you're talking about, that was, uh, it's because like I, I always flip between joins and kind of see like how it's going to flow and um and in 2d there's the onion skinning where you can see that stuff but in 3d like for maya we have the ghosting tool but it, it's sometimes doesn't work as well with it doesn't actually ghost the mesh if it doesn't have keyframes on it or something like that so i mm -hmm. uh my colleague uh wrote a script so we can kind of ghost it and see the the pose there and then we can ghost it and see the next pose. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps with like seeing the breakdowns and stuff. But um, right, so I kind of use that sometimes. The, what I was doing before that was I was just duplicating the mesh and then seeing it. So it was like a quick yeah. way to see it. Um, but as far as other tools, I actually am not, I don't use a lot of tools. I know there's a lot out there that uh, people recommend. Like even Tween Machine is pretty, I've, I've used it before. Um, but I tend to just use kind of what Maya has for the most part and just um, like copying, pasting, middle mousing, copying mm -hmm. keys, um, and then a bunch of hotkeys that I use to, to maneuver around. But I don't really use any extra tools as much to, uh, to do things. Um, I'm trying to think if there was, I don't know, I, maybe I, I, I kind of old fashioned with the way I'm keying, but I just end up kind of using what, Maya has for the most parts as far as uh, um, tool sets, I guess. I'm trying to think of any of the other ones that I use. And mm -hmm. yeah, no, I think for the most part, it's kind of out of the box stuff that I use. Yeah, uh, I'm and actually the same exact way. That's partly, I think it's partly because I just want to make sure I have what I have everywhere, whatever I work on, wherever I go. In case they mm -hmm. don't have it there, I don't want to be like, oh, I don't know how to use, use this or something. But right. so, so I'm comfortable. I, all as long as they have Maya, I'm good. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really great ones out there. Like we we mentioned Tween Machine, and there's uh like A Tools and mm -hmm. uh, some other ones out there that uh, I hear talked about really, really often uh, in the industry. And I've never really felt the need to jump to trying any of them. They're like, oh well, this can really help you do that. I'm like. Yeah, but I can already do that, so I, I don't really want to have a tool help me through it. And I also, for me, I like to try and keep as much of the control myself as possible. So mm -hmm. obviously, as you know, the more keys that you create, the less that the computer has to try and figure out between each of those keys. Mm -hmm. So I like, I love to have is that on me instead of that being on just another program doing that for me, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the what the a couple that I do use were actually really the only ones I have used really are uh, pose libraries. So mm -hmm. in games, you have a lot of idols uh, mm -hmm. going to and from different idols to and from different uh, different poses. And instead of having to open up different files, if your studio works in separate files versus like one character has their own file, um, 
it's a lot easier to use something like a pose library versus having to try and go achieve, uh, retrieve that and then import it and do all those sorts of different things. So uh, right. I think pose libraries are really the only ones that I, I really, really use. Because other than that, you can also create tools yourself inside of Maya extremely easily because the mm-hmm. uh, Mel scripting, um, it shows you everything that the program's doing. If you hit undo, it shows up undo. If you hit the S key, it says you uh, set a key. Um, So you can go in there and just, if you do the same thing over and over again, say you needed to move something up and rotate it a certain amount over (laughs) and over and over again, uh, instead of having to go and create that in every key, you can actually just copy that information and create a button right on your shelf and just click it however many times you need it to do that thing. So I find that Maya makes it really easy and is strong enough that you don't have to reach outside often to get other tools and things along those lines, unless it's proprietary tool for a studio's uh, Mm -hmm. game engine or something along those lines. But yeah, for the most part, uh, I'm the same. I don't really reach outside very much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And I, all the, a lot of the hotkeys that I use, I just copy the code and I put them as a hotkey that I, so like a zero key, like to zero out their controls. I just, copied it and then use it and then i just press the button now and it zeroes out um yeah uh and what other hotkeys uh, yeah deleting keys in the time uh the timeline i just made a hotkey for that so i can just do that with the button press really quick um <laughs> so yeah i do the same i don't really um i haven't the, i do i i can see the pose library like stealing the poses or even transferring animation in and out of files you can use that um to do it mm-hmm. um and then yeah and that I would say for the most part, maybe just that one. And for mocap, it's a little different. Maybe mocap, I use um, a snap script that's on the internet that uh, for free that can help like just do a temporary like snapping to something. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do that in Maya too. Probably just copying the code and doing that. But I just use that one, and then um, that's pretty much it. Other than that, yeah, I just kind of stick to um, middle mouse. And like you said, uh, I that some of the tools can give you free in between all this kind of stuff. But I I tend to like want to make my own anyway so i kind of just do it and create my own and then i yeah right. go yeah absolutely um so uh another thing that was brought up the other day in uh in one of these interviews that i did was the fact that when he went on his first interview and the fact that what i did on my first interview was like we showed up in suits on a very first interview because we didn't realize that you're not supposed to be in a suit. Like we didn't know what the inside of a game studio even had even looked like yet. So we actually, uh, him and I had talked and we both kind of joked around with the fact that on our first interviews, we both showed up to these full suits and things <laughs> on those lines, which uh, I don't think a studio is going to say, okay, this guy doesn't know what the heck's going on. Let's not hire him. A lot of them mm-hmm. might just find it as like a, a cute thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you think of anything during like those interview processes where you're like, okay, um, don't make this mistake. Like, yeah, it's a mistake to wear a suit. It's not like a, hey, that's really bad. But can you think of anything during like interview processes that you've heard of or done or or otherwise that you would be like, hey, you need to stick away from this during your interview process? Hmm. Uh oh. May have lost him again. Let's see. This conference will now be yeah. recorded. 
Okay, Matt, we, uh, we had another little technical issue. We had just started talking about um, the interview processes and some mistakes that people may have made or mm -hmm. you may have made and maybe some uh, uh, tips or tricks or otherwise that you may have for students during that, that process. Um, yeah, I think the I think the main thing that I've seen or hear is that they're maybe not know enough about the company and kind of what they do. I think that's kind of a can be a deal breaker sometimes or just not being not being enthusiastic enough for a little bit. You don't want to be fake, but you just want to be able to, they want to be able to see. And we have another technical issue. This conference will now be recorded. Okay, so uh, we had another little technical issue, but um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about any ideas that you had for the interview process and if you had any tips or tricks or uh, any errors that you know of and that other people have done that you'd like to maybe tell them to maybe stick away from? Um, yeah, I would say in interviews, I, I think a lot of times interviews, or at least when you get to the face-to-face -face and all this kind of, um, I think a lot of times they want to, they like your work and you probably have passed the stage of the real reviews and all that kind of thing. And I think now they just want to get to know a little bit more about you and, um, why you want to work there and things like that. So I think being uh, uh, being honest and really showing that you really enjoy their studio's work and that's uh, and that you really want to work there and be part of the team, I think goes a long way. So I think is um, showing just kind of a uh, team or you're part of the team attitude and really enjoying um, collaborative work and things like that, I think are some of the big things that I've seen. I think if, if two people were interviewing and one was a little bit more like, I don't know, a little bit more, not as seems as maybe in a way um, collaborative to work with. And I think even if the other, if, even if that person was better technical wise and everything, I think they would probably choose the other person because they're just, um, just they could maybe see them working in the case they have to work late nights. Sometimes they can see themselves working with them and stuff. So I think, mm -hmm. Being a fan of the studio, knowing the studio, knowing what they do, um, knowing there a little bit of background about them and stuff, I think that helps a lot in interviews versus kind of going in and treating it like another, just another interview mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's something that one of my uh, my instructors had told me about was making sure you really know the company that you're going and interviewing with. And for me at the time, uh, I was able to do this, and if, if you are capable of doing it, I do suggest it, is if I'm go applying to a game studio, is I make sure I go and actually own one of the games that I'm, that uh, they made. And if you're, mm. I mean, if you're applying to like 100 different studios, you might not be able to afford 100 games, but um, in my situation, I've always found it be very beneficial to have a little bit of hands-on versus just watching trailers online and that kind of stuff. So, because mm. sometimes mm. they might ask, like, "Okay, are you a fan of any of our games?" And you kind of brought this up: is you want to make sure that you sound like you're a fan of their games. You know, like you, <laughs> they want to make sure, as you had mentioned, you're going to be here a lot of hours working on that exact type of game. We want to make sure that you enjoy that type of game. Uh, right. So, I try and get my hands on something that is from their from their studio to try and so when they say are you a fan i say oh yeah i really love uh, let's just say it's a star wars uh game that they have made last or something like that uh yeah i really enjoyed that game and they're like okay well what would you do to maybe possibly improve it like that's a question <laughs> you get a lot right so mm -hmm. okay well then 
for one, you don't want to bash the game, obviously. So when they're asking for an improvement, you don't want to say, oh, I absolutely hated this thing and this looked terrible and all that kind of stuff. But if you've played with it a little bit, you might say, yeah, uh, I, I realized that during uh, some of your transitions and turns, uh, there was a bit of a pop there. So I think that mm -hmm. one of the things I'd really like to do is work more on your 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 motion graphs and trying to figure out how to get your blending and things like that to work a little bit better with your your starts and stops and things along those lines. So uh, I very much right. I very much feel the same exact way as you do. Um, right. Yeah. As, as far as uh, sorry, uh, I I think I'm hearing a fan or something. Oh, I think it's this thing that kicked on. One sec. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. There you go. So uh, along with that and, and wanting to be excited and making sure that you know something about the studio and otherwise during the interview process, at least for me, uh, a lot of the studios that I've actually gone and interviewed with, it's been a half day to a full day interview process mm -hmm. where I know outside of industry, a lot of the times you'll go for an interview somewhere, say it's Home Depot or otherwise, it might be mm -hmm. a 10 minute to a 30 minute interview, but in the video game industry, I've had some where it was, I arrived when they pretty much opened in the morning and I was there until they were pretty much closing up. Uh, mm -hmm. I different interview processes I've had like that. And I think uh, they're gonna test you on a lot of different things. Like they've already looked at your reel. So your work shows that you're capable of working with them. So when mm -hmm. you're doing the in-person interview part, they're generally not trying to uh, test you on your actual animation skill. They're trying to test on, hey, we're going to show your demo reel here, and then we're going to critique it. See how do you receive critiquing? <laughs> right. That's really that's really important. You know, um, people get kind of they can get married to their work, and then they feel really good about their work, and then they hear someone say something bad about it, uh, or have these critiquing sessions about their work. And I know that can be really difficult on students to have that kind of switch in their head of like this person's trying to help me. By giving me this information, they're not trying to talk negative about me personally. They're just trying to help my work. So that's something I realized. Um, and you, you had brought it up is they already know that your skills well, and now they want to make sure that you fit. Or can you take critiques well when they ask mm -hmm. you about like what do you do outside of work and that kind of stuff? You also don't want to lie to them and be like, oh man, I love going. I don't know something silly like oh I love going <laughs> bowling every day, and they're like cool like we bowl every single day as well like you don't <laughs> why because then you certainly don't want to feel uncomfortable in a place um that doesn't match you as well because it's the interviews go both ways you want to make sure you're going to be comfortable there you want to make sure that you get along with their personalities and same goes with them they're trying to make sure that yeah late days long days uh times where you might be in the office uh crunching and things like that that you're going to get along with the person next to you you know um, right right and i think yeah i think I think that's another part that uh, gets um, overlooked a lot during the interview process in the video game industry is they already think that you can do the work. That's why you're in their studio talking to them. And now they're trying to make sure that your personality and everything else matches along with them and that you're excited mm -hmm. about being there. Um, right, right. So uh, more about uh, like the interview process and getting your demo reel together and, and, and things along those, those routes is, um, I've heard sometimes that being overly excited or overly mm. interested can also um, be a drawback in uh, <laughs> before the interview process. So you sent out your demo reel to somebody and um, it was either done via an email or it was done 
uh, during an online submission or however it is that this particular place um, collects their demo reels. I've also seen where people will do that, send it in, and then they'll write them the next day. Hey, I want to make sure you got my demo reel and I want to see what hmm. you thought of it. And then they might wait a couple more days and then write again and then wait till the next week and write again. So uh, are, are there any things along those routes where you would maybe suggest against? Because for me, trying to mm -hmm. over communicate while it shows, hey, in eagerness, it also can start to uh, perturb the people that get your reel first. You know, the people that that first line of communication and be like, OK, this guy's written me six times this week. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, that can be an issue. Can you think of anything mm -hmm. else that might be where it sounds on one side, you can think, oh, it sounds like I'm really excited um, or otherwise. Can you think of anything else that might be like, hey, that's maybe maybe not do that? Um, that's a, I mean, yeah, that's a good one. I think just uh, not being too overly, I guess, in a way excited because it could come off as pushy or something like that. So I don't think, um, and sometimes if, and usually they'll, and and they may reply back and just say, sorry, we just haven't got to it or something like that. So I, and then I would just say to kind of take their um, lead on things and how they're, because it, it's not it's not it's not it's not as if they're doing that hiring process for that spot every hour of the day. They have like meetings and things like that, so they're doing other stuff. So yeah. I would just say, um, yeah, I would say that's a good one. I'm trying to think if there's any other kind of an issue or something that could um, be a yeah, I would say uh, that's probably the main one I think too is like um, not being too overly pushy. I think it's good to send a reminder, maybe or not a reminder, but at least a follow-up email, like maybe a, not the next day or anything, but a couple of four or five days or something, maybe, and just hey, or not even not even that you're wanting a response, maybe just saying I applied and I'm super eager, and if you have anything else that you you want to see this let me know or um, mm -hmm. something like that but versus asking like hey did you see this or did you get my email right. um so just kind of sending a nice um yeah, i applied i'm super eager and uh anything else you need just let me know or something like that is um maybe good but i'd still i would still give them some time to to get through things mm -hmm. so uh another thing that i kind of ran into during the beginning of my my career was i apply to numerous places and I applied to them in short order. So I spent like a week just researching and looking at which places I wanted to do. And then I started sending out my demo reel to all these places. And sometimes it takes a while to, to you know, apply to a place. So I had like a list of places that I want to go. And uh, I ended up applying to a lot of them. And then I started running into the issue of, okay, now I've got several people looking to actually have me do an animation test all at mm -hmm. one time. Like I, I, I remember <laughs> thinking like, okay, well, this one's, this is the studio I'm really excited about. And they're asking for like a week's, almost week's worth of work for me to do. And then this other studio wrote, and they have a couple of days worth of work of animation for me to do. And then this place, um, so I got kind of piled on all at one time and I did everything that I could. And I did end up just animating one right after the other, right after the other. And then I let the studios know, hey, I didn't get to starting this until Friday because, um, uh, I was I was honest. I've gotten other animation tests that I needed to do, and I worked on those. How do you suggest students kind of navigate that area of their interviewing process? Like, should they try and? I, I wouldn't suggest really 
separating when you're applying to places because you never know this place mm -hmm. might take three weeks to get back this place might take a day this place might be months uh later to get back to you right. so how do you suggest when someone does get it uh offered to do a test for a studio and they're going to say hey uh, are you willing to do one obviously you want to say yes because uh, they feel as though they need to see more than what was on your demo reel for you to do a test. Um, when 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 you get those, and if you have some other time restrictions, how do you how do you suggest talking to the studio and saying, okay, yeah, I would love to do a test for you, um, and I need to start at a different date uh, to to actually start that test? How do you suggest that kind of conversation go? Because obviously you're really nervous. You want to get the job and you want to show that it's really important to you. So you want to jump on it as soon as possible, but that's not always uh, the case. Uh, I remember actually at one point I got a test and a interview offer and I was in the middle of a vacation and I was on an island mm -hmm. and uh, I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be back in the country for a couple more days, but I'll jump on it as soon as I get back. Um, mm -hmm. And they were, they were very, working with me and stuff like that but mm -hmm. like, any suggestions for that kind of stuff so obviously like, you want to try and put your best foot forward you want to try and do it in their time frame and things along those lines but when when there are blockages like that in the very beginning mm -hmm. how do you suggest students navigate that with with the studio um yeah that's tricky especially if you have multiple tests going on and uh, if you have other stuff you have to do also outside of that so i would say I think most uh, places would be uh, open to discussion as far as if you could take an extra or start on it a few days later or things like that. If you just open and tell them and uh, kind of just be honest with them about it. And uh, and if they're not open to it and they say, no, we need this by, and there's no, um, obviously, obviously you don't want to ask for, can I get an extra two weeks or something like that or right. it was something, but um, I think if you're just open to it and open to um, talking to them about it, and uh, I think they would be open to giving you that time, especially the places you want to work at. If they don't, if they aren't open to it and they're kind of a bit pushy, then maybe that's not a great spot to be working at anyway. If they're a little bit not, um, if they're not uh, understanding at all in that, because usually all these places that I've worked at, they would all be understanding. And mm -hmm. usually if they have tests that they're giving, it's that means they're not as they need somebody tomorrow type of a thing they have a little bit of time to kind of look at the re tests that come in and all that kind of stuff so they should be um open as long as you just honest with them and uh, kind of tell them can i get um i'm working on this on the side or i have well i would just say i'm extremely or i have this kind of prior commitments and if i could just get an extra day or two or to before i start or something like that would i think that'll uh, be understanding for the most part yeah great yeah that, that's kind of the direction that i was looking for there is uh and i wanted to see how what, what your thoughts were is because mm -hmm. you're very much right is a lot of the times people are so nervous and they're so scared that if they say anything to change the the, the course that the um, that the company has said like hey here's a test we want you to start it now and have it done can you send it back to us by monday something like that they're so nervous that if they're like oh well i, I can't make that work like not in the country like in my one particular mm -hmm. situation like yeah obviously um a lot of the companies will be will work with you with that kind of stuff and it's okay to um to ask for things even during the interview process of like oh hey yeah i know that you wanted me to do this test next week 
uh, I have a prior uh, engagement for that time. Is there a way I can um, start the test at another time? Because the other part of the tests are obviously how long is it taking you to actually perform the animation mm -hmm. task that they're asking you to do. So you want to make sure that you're starting and stopping in the time range that they want. But in mm -hmm. the same respect, make sure that uh, make sure that you're giving it the time that it needs. Because what you really don't want to do is say, okay, well I've got one hour a day for the next three days and i know this is going to be like three days worth of work altogether. you don't want to just slap something together in those three hours you want to make sure you're giving mm -hmm. it the time that it deserves and i think that they would understand that if you were to say hey i don't have the time to put into it right now uh, i will at x or x date um and generally yes they will be a little bit more lenient with you and if if they aren't and they are super strict and otherwise that that might be indicative of how the studio works and it might not be a great, <laughs> great fit for you anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, there should be a little bit open to an extra day or two or something like that for the most part, I would uh, I imagine. Or at least all the places that I've worked at, they would all be open to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously in film and, and games are very different from, uh, from each other in, in the ways that um, how tasks are given out as far as sometimes you'll receive storyboards and you'll know exactly which direction your scene needs to go in film and things along those lines. Sometimes you need a storyboard of yourself, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, and I know a few people that do this, but I was wondering uh, while you're making games or while you're working in film, do you find that you, you go to 2D at all? Do you find that you like to create your own little 2D sketches of like poses that you like? or uh, ideas that you might have uh, do you try sketching them out in some, any kind of storyboard so uh, let's say mm -hmm. it's just like uh, a studio came to you and said hey we want you to do a three three hit attack and they don't give you any more information other than just hey make it three hits <laughs> um, do you from there feel like you like to do anything in 2d or do you like jumping right into 3d and start jotting down poses in there hmm. um I guess I don't do too much of 2D in the, I mean, I do some 2D as far as like when I'm in my shot, maybe I'll do a draw over all my own stuff and kind of, okay, this curve here and all this kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. I don't know if I do too many um, pre-planning uh, in 2D. For, I, if anything, I'll do a quick reference kind of idea or um, just really quickly rough it out in 3D. Um, and the poses that I do wouldn't be like polished or anything, but just to get the, is this the right feel for this, you know? Um, um, so I just use all the main controllers really quick and just like super quickly um, sculpt something out. But I will say, if I don't know exactly what the type of animation is, then I would probably um, uh, shoot my own or to feel it out uh, really quick and then, and then take that uh, reference idea and then kind of use that and do some quick poses or something. But um, I haven't done a lot of 2D um, drawing. I don't, I don't, I don't draw all that well, but I could do, I guess, some like stick figure stuff, I guess, or something, but yeah. Um, yeah. But I, um, I wish, I guess sometimes I'll do like these really quick um, stick figures, like just a character with two lines for his chest area and then uh, mm -hmm. the legs and arm or something like that. So just to get like the, the silhouette or just a, line of action or something but other than that i don't really take those too far and i'll just kind of shoot reference and then uh and just try to rough it out really quick to see if it's the right idea and um 
usually I can rub those out really fast, so I don't. Um, it's not a lot of time that I spend on it, so it's just kind of to get the just the right feeling, or you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, I, I'm a lot the same. When I very first started off animating, uh, sketching was a big part of what I used to like doing. Like mm. storyboard out an idea that I had and things along those lines and. Uh, very quickly after getting into the video game industry, that kind of fell off because I didn't really have the mm -hmm. time to start doing that. So I went right into 3D and started creating poses and things along those lines. And uh, these days I'm trying to incorporate it back into my my work a little bit more uh, so that I'm not, because I feel like I can do a stick figure faster than I can do a full 3D character. So mm -hmm. uh, since I have a Cintiq now, it makes it even that much easier. I don't have to switch to paper and then switch back and forth. I can just have it right here on my Cintiq. So um, mm -hmm. I found that I'm trying to incorporate it back in, but so far it really hasn't been a strong part of my, uh, my planning process. Uh, mm -hmm. And I find it interesting that uh, some people really feel as though they they like that process, like they might be better 2D artists. It seems is usually the ones that enjoy doing the sketching first uh, versus jumping hmm. right into 3D. Uh, I'm also not a great 2D artist, so uh, that's probably a, another reason why it has really fallen off from my planning process. <laughs> right. but you mentioned you mentioned a little bit about reference, and reference can come from so many different resources mm. uh, whether it's uh just online or creating it yourself um my question to you is if it's something that can be referenced easily like not, not a dragon or some other mythical creature what kind of reference do you find yourself using more than any other types of reference um you said if it, if it was something that you can't find is that what you're saying no i was saying if it's something that could actually be referenced like something you could do yourself or find online oh. really easily. So if it's like a, a bipedal character running or jumping or doing something along those lines, what kind of reference do you, you find yourself liking more? Something you create yourself, something you find online? Uh, what do you find yourself using more often? Um, depends on what it is. I think uh, if it's my if it's acting, I would for the general of that I would do it myself and just to get a feel for that and then uh if i need to dig up some oscar performances to steal some ideas from i'll do that but um but i try to do the acting kind of ideas at least to get a feel for them so i can see like what what feels right for that story or what that uh, line and then as far as the um uh it feels like more physicality stuff like animating spider-man um i tend to look for people who can control their bodies a lot more than like I can do that stuff. So it's right. a good, I could, they can, they have some interesting ways of overlap and all this stuff. So I kind of search for that. Um, but at the same time, as, as that's what I use as my base. And then I'll, um, for all these moments as I'm doing them, I still kind of try to feel it out. It's a little bit like what that's happening there. So I can make sure I get that in my shot or something. Um, so I would say uh, it's a mixture of that. If it's something, um if it depends on uh, if it's something that's i guess more grounded then i would just do it myself and just record it and kind of use that but if it's something that's a little bit more physicality i, I tend to find stuff from all over internet and kind of use that to, to at least pull the big ideas from and then um stitch them together yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of self-reference uh, for certain things. Mm -hmm. um, I try to do as much as I can recording myself doing something and um, 
even when I'm doing something and I'm in the middle of the animation and while I might have reference from the internet or I might have created reference myself or otherwise, I still find myself randomly standing up at my desk and going, okay, mm -hmm. they're going to do this little thing right here. I can't get a good idea of what it looks like in the reference here. And I just kind of look at myself and I kind of feel out what am I doing? Am I, am I shifting my weight here? Like are my hips shifting and how, are, how what am I doing? My foot placement, you know, if it's like a spin or something like foot placements can be kind of interesting when someone turns around. So I find myself standing up and looking at myself a lot. And uh, if someone's sitting in one way versus the other way, their, their fingers might dangle like this, but if their wrist is actually supported a bit more, their hands, couple a little bit more so i find myself like if i'm doing something i like to just check out what's going on with my own body like sitting at a chair if my hand is hanging over the side because of the way all of your tendons work it makes your fingers dangle right but if you support your palm on the end of your chair it automatically makes your fingers close up right so i find myself doing silly stuff like that all the time like looking at my own body how is my hand currently resting like without me thinking about it what is it doing if i'm adding pressure to my hand what's actually going on okay all four fingers aren't actually on the top i'm actually letting my pinky fall off and i just try pick up little ideas like that and uh, i think people really try and get locked down to this idea of like okay i gotta get reference uh online for cool poses and i gotta or i have to shoot my own reference or i have to draw it and it's these uh these quote unquote rule sets that people kind of get into like, oh, I have to draw it, then I have to shoot my own reference, then I have to get into poses, then I have to do the blocking where every shot even with the same animator might be different than the last one. You might say, oh yeah, um, I always do this, but sometimes you don't do that, you know? Like sometimes you have to do a section of animation and straight ahead and not be doing pose to pose. And sometimes you have to do pose to pose even if you normally do straight ahead. So uh, a lot of people try and uh, early on, they, they get this idea of rules that are inside that you have to stick to all the time. And uh, that's really not necessarily true. Um, I've had a lot of questions about gravity, actually. And while you would normally want to try and work with a gravity that feels right for the Earth, you know, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that your animation has to be that. So if you want to have a character that looks like they're very floaty and running on Mars or running on... Uh, the moon or something along those lines is, yeah, like you're going to be breaking the rules of what it, what an animation should usually look like. It's going to look floaty, but it's supposed to look floaty, you know? So um, I've had a, a few students kind of ask me like, oh, what's the rule for if you're like, what is the rate of, of decrease when a, a ball is dropped and it needs to bounce? Like what, at what rate should it bounce? I'm like, well, what kind of ball is it? What is it bouncing? Is it, is it on a rug? Is it on concrete? Is it on metal? Is it on a pillow? You know, so I get a lot of these rules types of stuff. So um, reference and observation are, in my book at least, two of the most powerful tool sets that you will have as an animator. Because if you don't know your reference and you don't know how something works and you just decide to start working on it without even knowing how it's really going to work, it's obviously not going to work out very good. So I see those those two tool sets as being really, really strong and making sure that if you're not sure of something, to try and go find something that will help you understand that or uh, going back in your mind and thinking of things that you saw in person, like how someone may have been limping or how someone uh, may have picked up a box when their back was hurting versus somebody that's this huge muscle man that doesn't have to bend at the knees and all and can just reach over and grab it with a pinky, you know? Um, so for me, like observational and 
and referencing is really important and uh that's why I love to ask people about that stuff. So <clears throat> leading into that, and uh, we are getting a little long, so I will uh, I will uh, let you go after this one. But what I was going to ask is uh, also observation. Like we talked a little bit about reference, and do you find yourself going and, and observing things in certain ways? Do you feel yourself attracted to certain types of observation? For me, obviously, as I've brought it up a few times, is uh, – I really enjoy observing people and the way that they carry themselves when they don't know I'm there and they're just walking or they're standing in a group of people. I really love that. But do you have anything that you particularly love to observe or ways that you love to observe uh, to gain uh, just knowledge about how things work? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I end up, but I watch, yeah, in real, I'll watch in real life kind of, like how you same thing observing kind of what happens and you know people walk and all that kind of stuff but i also end up um i end up watching a lot of just random clips of people doing anything online and just kind of uh watching it and kind of over and over and like what makes it so interesting or what how the body moves like that so i end up um just watching on repeat just a bunch of times so i have it like stored in my memory now so that if i ever do it or see that again i'll know like that that didn't that doesn't feel right from what i remember like seeing mm -hmm. over and over again so so yeah a lot of that i do um i tend to yeah watch clips kind of over and over um just a bunch of times till like i get tired of them i guess um just to kind of study yeah. and see what's really happening and i think um i think early on i didn't do that as much i think as a student and um kind of beginning i think i was more just moving things and it moved. I was like, cool, that looks, that's moving. But I, uh, right. I didn't really think about uh, the movement as much, like why this moves or why clavicle moves or what should be driving the, the that, that kick, like what is really driving that or all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So I didn't really think about that as much. And I think um, now I, I do. And also now I just kind of constantly watch uh stuff it's almost like um it reminds me of that uh you know the matrix scene where neo gets all that like, stuff thrown in his head and um mm -hmm. like it's like well now i know Kung Fu or whatever so i end up like just watching a whole bunch of stuff and and then i if it's really nice and stuff i just download it and i store it into like this hard drive of just footage that i have and stuff mm -hmm. um so yeah i end up having a bunch of whether it's acting or um uh, yeah, acting ones I pull a lot too. I really like to see some genuine performances and stuff like that. So, because there's a lot of stuff that they do that um, uh, I, I could never do in acting or something. So at least I can see like why that works, what they did, and I can maybe yeah. use it later, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that that uh, that's it's uh, fun that you brought that up because I think about when I watch uh, an animated film or I watch uh, a really uh, great cinematic moment or something otherwise in a game and I look at it and I'm like wow the acting choices that they chose here I wouldn't have thought of that you know like I'm a very much a face toucher I touch my face a lot I'll scratch my chin or I'll do something so if I'm to record myself trying to be natural and I do this scene like a hundred times and I try not to think about what I'm going to do just so I get something natural out of it a lot of the times it's going to be this you know touching my face doing something silly so um 
uh, I like the fact that you said, uh, like, yeah, I'd like to find people that are doing genuine acting that they might have acting choices I don't think about. And a lot of the times in game and especially in film, you'll have what you call a character sheet where it's essentially um, this is the person's personality on paper. Uh, let's say uh, you're making a, a game and even though it's not associated with Marvel or something along those lines, but they're like, hey, we really like the way Robert Downey Jr. acts as Iron Man. And even though you're not doing Iron Man, uh, what would really be smart instead of just thinking about it and just like, okay, yeah, I know he's he's kind of snarky and uh, backhanded compliments and stuff like that. And you just kind of think of that kind of stuff. But uh, what, what really should be happening is going and saying, okay, this guy's really wants to be like Robert Downey Jr. from Iron Man is go pull up some of the acting pieces from Iron Man. Don't look at all the action stuff, obviously, but like, okay, they really liked how Robert Downey Jr. was talking to Loki at that one point because he was coming off kind of cocky, but at the same time trying to distance himself from him. So he left the bar in between him when he was trying to put those wristlets on and that kind of stuff. Um, so you could tell he's trying to keep himself away. What was it about that that read so well? that Robert Downey Jr. was trying to show that he's got a lot of attitude and he feels very cocky about the situation. But at the same time, they he very obviously felt this, okay, I'm cocky, but I want to keep him at a space away from me because he's dangerous, you know? So he walked to the other side of the bar and he had this large bar that was between him and the, the, just the way he walked around it and just look at those moments and read those moments and go, okay, what is it about that that reads so well and that he's cocky but scared? You know, um, so yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because uh, there's some really people out there that can just act so much better than you can. Uh, and despite the fact that we are actors with puppets, not everything always is uh, easy for us. You know, like I can't be the cocky guy. I can't be this uh, the rock kind of guy. The way he carries himself, like I could try to act it, but then it will look like a guy acting trying to be that guy. You know, so yeah, finding finding those people that do it naturally. The Rock is this big encompassing funny man. And that's, you know, that's what I want to try to incorporate in my work. So making sure that you go after the resources directly uh, if you're not able to do it yourself. Parkour moves, I'm not a parkour guy. There's no way I'm going to be doing flips over chairs and stuff. So I'm going to try and find the re reference online. Um, but I try and do as much of my own as I can. So I uh, appreciate you. Uh, tell right. me about the process there as well. Um, right. So uh, yeah. I, I I do think that we can end it here. And uh, I just was wondering if is there any other any other things that you feel like you'd like to tell a student or otherwise or any kinds of uh, information you'd like to share before we let you go? Um, any other go? Um, I think uh, you know looking back on my stuff it, it, after graduating college and things like it wasn't very like the yeah, average sophomores and juniors now and um they're already uh way 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 better than i was when i graduated so i i, I think um i think uh sometimes students get discouraged because they're maybe not at the level of somebody they see it at, at some feature house or something but um you know if they're already doing pretty well that uh, you know if I made it back then with that kind of talent like I wasn't nowhere near that then uh, they definitely can they just got to keep kind of pushing I think um, I think sometimes people fall off or they won't um, keep pursuing it which it is hard to get in it's competitive but um, I already see like they're 
I can see the growth in there. And so sometimes what happens is they'll graduate and maybe not find something. And so they stop doing as much tests as they were doing in school. And so that protect, uh, that growth slows down a lot. And I think if they would have uh, kept that same kind of turning in assignments every, you know, two days or whatever, then they would have um, uh, improved a lot and they eventually would have broken in somewhere. So sometimes it just takes like some extra outside work to keep, you know, doing it. And, uh, and they'll, they'll break in because you can see the the growth in them. They're, um, you know, it's there. You just got to keep uh, doing those kind of t practice tests. And, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. it, it might take, it might take, it, it, some, it might, some people will get a job right after, but sometimes it'll take some month or a month or two or a couple months. Three, I, one of my friends said he took him like a year. He's about to give up and he finally got something. And then now he's been doing it ever since. So just, yeah. you know, Trying not to get discouraged, essentially, is what you're saying, and making sure that you keep practicing that muscle. So, um, like like a lot of other things, as you aren't doing it, you will start to lose that muscle memory of what you should be doing, and you start to lose uh, that ability. And then also in that process, if you continue doing it, you would continue to get better. Uh, the more you animate, the better you are going to become an animating. The more you juggle, the better juggler you're going to end up being. And the longer you stay away from juggling, and the longer you stay away from animating, the the more those little skills will start to drop off. So it's a it's a it's a skill that you have to continually work on. Um, and as you're mentioning, yes, yeah, it might take a little while to get your first gig or otherwise, but make sure you're continuing with your work and continuing uh, educating yourself and uh, practicing. So um, right. thank you for mentioning that because yeah. um, I think that is another big piece. Is like, oh hey, I've already got my demo reel put together. Uh, now I'm just going to wait for my first job to start like animating. Like no, make sure you. Make sure you keep on going, because uh, the longer you keep doing it, the more the better you're going to be. And then you might find you look at your demo reel and go, "Oh wow, I just animated something yesterday that looks better than what's on my demo reel." What does that tell you? Hey, I got to edit my demo reel. I know it's only a month or two months old, but guess what? I'm now a better animator already than what's on my demo reel, and I'm going to take this out and replace it with this brand new thing that I just made. So uh, I really appreciate bringing that up. Right. Um, right. Matt, I really want to uh, I want to thank you for coming on today, and I know that it was a bit of a struggle with some of the technical issues that we've had. Uh, I really do appreciate having you in. I've been watching your work, as I mentioned, on Instagram uh, the longest period of time on Instagram, and I've uh, I've really enjoyed watching you. It's it's both educational uh, and inspiring to see the work that you you place up there. So. Um, I really I appreciate you coming in. I was excited to interview you because I've been excited about watching your work for quite some time. Uh, your presence on on Instagram is is absolutely fantastic, and um, I'm excited to hear about uh, eventually when you guys are able to what you're working on. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely awesome. And um, thank you so much again. And uh, hopefully we get to continue talking here in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was nice. To, uh, and uh, if anybody's, any, if there's any other follow-up questions, just you can reach out to you, and then you can relay it to me or something. And I'm happy to answer any kind of stuff. So, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. All right, you have a great one now. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com 
To learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.